This is Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where every week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we discuss what's going on in our business. Plus, we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week, we'll be talking to veteran adult industry attorney, Michael Fatterosi. Adult Site Broker is proud to announce Adult Site Broker Cash, the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. With Adult Site Broker Cash, you'll have the chance to earn as much as 20% of our broker commission for referring buyers and sellers to us at Adult Site Broker. Check our website at adultsitebroker.com for more details. First of all today, let's cover some of the news going on in our industry. The Arizona judge overseeing the criminal trial of the former Backpage.com owners has granted another motion by the defense to move the trial date, this time to April 2021, which will coincide with the third anniversary of Michael Lacey and Jim Larkin's arrest and asset seizure. The trial, originally scheduled for May 2020, had first been postponed by U.S. District Court Judge Susan Brnovich in February until August and then to January 2021 due to concerns regarding the COVID-19 health crisis. On September 21st, the defense had requested a reset due to a medical leave scheduled by one of the defense attorneys. The Backpage lawyers had also argued for the delay, as they did during July's request, due to the ongoing uncertainty over the public health handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. The latest postponement was first reported by the news site FrontPageConfidential.com, which is published by Lacey and Larkin and edited by Stephen Lemons and is the last journalistic remnant of their once-powerful Village Voice media empire. Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos spoke at the virtual edition of global content market NIPCOM, and he expressed his surprise at the fact that, and I quote, we're having a discussion about censoring storytelling in 2020 America after an East Texas grand jury voted to indict the streaming network on felony obscenity charges. Local District Attorney Lucas Babin filed charges in Tyler County, Texas, a deep red county outside of Houston, close to the Louisiana border, alleging that the French drama Cuties, which is currently available for streaming on Netflix, appeals to the prurient interest in sex and has no serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Sarandos' comments at MIPCOM come only a few days after being accused by name by D.A. Babin for issuing or selling or providing or delivering or distributing the film. In his indictment, D.A. Babin wrote that Netflix knowingly promotes visual material which depicts the lewd exhibition of the genitals or pubic area of a clothed or partially clothed child who was younger than 18 years of age at the time the visual material was created, which appeals to the prurient interest in sex. It's a film that is very misunderstood with some audiences, uniquely within the United States, Sarandos pointed out, adding that the film speaks for itself. Sarandos described Cuties as a very personal coming-of-age film. It's the director's story, and the film has obviously played very well at Sundance in theaters throughout Europe as well, without any of this controversy. 
D.A. Babin's publicity stunt against Netflix is particularly worrying in the context of current debates about the elimination of Section 230 protections. Several of the projects that are currently being looked at in Congress include expanding the jurisdiction of local courts to decide what Internet content is lawful and obscene. Even some supporters of repealing or drastically altering Section 230 have expressed concern for what they call a patchwork of local jurisdictions with widely different standards, indicting, trying, and passing judgment on lawfulness, obscenity, and prurience when it comes to online content. An obscure investment fund, which defines its mission as investing with biblical principles, is a leading donor and strategic partner of anti-porn organization Exodus Cry, currently receiving international attention for their single-focused campaign against Pornhub. In August, Timothy Partners Limited, the advising arm of Timothy Plan Funds, announced that they and their staff had joined Exodus Cry's widely promoted campaign to shut down Pornhub. Their press release explained that Timothy Plan Funds was launched in 1994 as an investment product for people who didn't want to profit from activities contrary to a Judeo-Christian ethic, such as harming the innocent, and that pornography was one of the earliest filters employed to weed out culpable companies. Although Exodus Cry and their main spokesperson, Layla Micklewaite, repeatedly misled the mainstream press by claiming to be a non-religious, non-partisan organization, their affiliation with Timothy Partners and the Timothy Fund tell a completely different story. A writer named Robert Knight, who publishes a regular column in the conservative newspaper The Washington Times and appears to be involved with the investment fund's press copy, confirmed the financial and logistic support of the biblically-inspired fund to Exodus Cry's call for censorship. Timothy Partners Limited, advisor to Timothy Plan Funds, is supporting Exodus Cry's petition to shut down Pornhub, according to Knight. Knight wrote this in an op-ed for the Christian Broadcasting News site. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're offering a sex toy review site dedicated to exploring sexuality and sharing and reviewing the author's favorite sex toys. The thing that really stands out is the extremely high-quality content used throughout the site. Most sites, especially review sites, use junk content that is very obviously written just to rank for terms in Google. This site is written in the first person and is a joy to read. The authors take the reader on a journey, showing them which toys they find the most enjoyable and explaining how to best use them. The rankings in Google are high because Google has rewarded this site due to the quality of the content. It's also a nicely diversified site in terms of revenue. It's from a good mix of affiliate offers, so the business doesn't hinge on only one main program. The site is also very diversified in terms of traffic to individual pages. The most trafficked page on the site only makes up 14% of the traffic, so it's not dependent on just one page ranking well. All content is exclusive. Nothing has been taken from elsewhere. Pretty much all of the traffic comes from organic Google results. No ad or traffic buying has ever taken place. This is an outstanding opportunity for the new owner if they want to further boost the traffic.
This outstanding sex toy review site is available for only $225,000. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is adult industry attorney Michael Fatterosi. Michael, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. Well, thank you for having me, Bruce. It's a pleasure. Um, now, the law offices of Michael W. Fatterosi were established in 2002. Michael originally set up shop in L.A. and now lives in the Netherlands. Uh, he represents various types of clients in adult entertainment. Depending on the issue, he can represent clients within all 50 states within the U.S., as well as in Canada, Europe, Australia, and the U.K., over 90% of his clients are companies and personalities in the adult industry. Michael, also known on social media as Porn Law, has been a licensed California attorney since 1997 and has uh -huh. been representing companies. <laughs> you're old. Has I'm been old. representing <laughs> companies in the adult entertainment industry since 2003. He's a graduate of the American University in Washington, D.C., and Whittier Law School in L.A., where he was a member of the Law Review. He's been a seminar speaker at numerous adult industry events. Michael has written articles for XBiz World and XBiz Video, Adult Stort Buyer Magazine, and has been quoted on Fox News, CNBC, TMZ, The Hollywood Reporter, Playboy Magazine, The Daily Beast, The Daily Dot, and other various media outlets. He's been interviewed and appeared on KTLA-TV News in LA and has been seen on the reality TV shows My Bear Lady 2 on Fox Reality, as well as The Right Hand and Web Dreams on HBO and Showcase Canada. Lately, Michael has branched out into the export business. He exports <laughs> wine, pasta, sauce, um, olive oil, and mar marmalade, I was going to say marinade, uh, to the U.S. and meats and hard cheeses in Europe. Unfortunately, Michael, that's all the time we have for today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for being with us. Um, so, yeah, so Michael, go over all of that. Well, you know, it all seemed pertinent, so I did. Uh, so, let's talk first about your new passion, exporting. Oh, now, okay. I know, like me, you love food and wine. You're Italian, so you come about it honestly. Um, how did you get started exporting products from Europe? Well, I'm going to have to do the really short version of that. Um, okay. Yeah, I've been going to Italy since I was a little boy. And probably right. say 15 years ago, I started going more regularly. And about mm -hmm. 10 years ago, I started doing family research uh, mm. into where the Fatarosis came from and all of this. Right. I started going back every year then, and then I was spending about a month there. And mm -hmm. I, just by being there for so long, you come across this great food that we just don't sure. have in the United States. And yeah. I sort of thought to myself, well, if this is a way that I can kind of fund my trips over here, that would be awesome. <laughs> if I can, like, turn this into a business, it would be perfect. And that's what I started doing. I started looking around for small, uh, family-owned uh, businesses, not big companies. Mm -hmm. That really made the best food. And and I started sampling it, and there's some that I fell in love with. And uh, now I'm able to not only export it into the United States directly to clients, but I also import it into the Netherlands uh, for restaurants here. So right. it's sort of – it's that's sort of my retirement plan. I, sure. you know, as, as much as I love being an attorney, um, yeah. I don't want to be doing it when I'm 65 you know, or 60 <laughs> even. I would like to – 
spend my days traveling the uh, the countryside in Italy, sampling new foods and bringing them yeah. to other people in other places. That sounds like fun, man. Uh, um, yeah, why not? Now, obviously, it's been a very strange year with the whole COVID-19 pandemic. I think strange is probably an understatement. Um, I'm sure, like me, you're happy as hell you're not living in the U.S. anymore. Um, how are things where you live in the Netherlands? Oh, it's it's as though there is no such thing as COVID-19 here. Um, we did something. No, 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 not good. We did something oh. called an intelligent lockdown. And basically, it was the prime minister going, eh, be smart. And, and nobody mm-hmm. really, really was all of that smart. And the Netherlands has recently had a huge influx or a, a, a huge amount of positive cases. Yesterday, oh, shit. we had the most positive cases that we've had since April. And so, but you know what? So is Italy. Italy is back to April, mm-hmm. May levels. The UK is. Back well, so you're to April you're just levels. basically saying the Netherlands acts like Netherlands act like Trump supporters. Uh no, they're not. They, you know, there there's no. Listen, they they drop the mandatory. No, actually, the government here is like Trump. Um, they dropped the mask requirement because the businesses were complaining because they they had set up areas that were most crowded. And they made mm-hmm. those areas mask mandatory and the mm-hmm. businesses complained and the government just withdrew the mask uh, requirement, even though cases were going up. The, oh, the, the Dutch are all about money. The Dutch are 100 sure. percent about making money and anything that the government does to in any way prevent that pisses them off. So mm. the difference here is no one's really, you know, the, the, the hospitals aren't overwhelmed. There isn't. A huge number of ICU cases. The debts are really low, and so the government's attitude is, well, you know, let's let's do business. We're open for business, and that's that's the way the Netherlands is. Mm, it's a little scary, though. Um, as an adult industry attorney, what challenges do you currently see to our business from a legal standpoint? Well, you know, it's interesting because. You know, I, I'm not one of those attorneys that go around and going, oh, the government's coming after you. You know, the big boogeyman is is, is going to show up at your doorstep, arrest you and prosecute you. I, I just don't see that happening. I mean, yeah, I wasn't around for the Mies Commission all the way back then. My experiences in the adult industry have been basically from 2003 forward. And for the yeah. most part, the government has left the adult industry alone for those periods of time. And, and when I say adult industry, I'm, I'm talking about porn production. They certainly right. haven't. They, they certainly haven't left prostitution and escorting and, and things like Backpage alone. Exactly. They basically left, and and except for state regulations, there's really not been much from the federal government. Trump mm-hmm. is as close to a pornographer as you can get. Uh, mm. He owned hotels where he sold pornography and distributed pornography in those hotels. Uh, mm. He ended up marrying an Eastern European. Um, Model, model. I can say escort. Model. Uh, Yes, he did. He's paid porn stars for sex. I mean, listen. If there's any guy that's gonna, and he's been in Playboy, and so if there's any guy Mm -hmm. that that isn't gonna buck with the adult industry, it's probably him, and he hasn't. And Hmm. so, you know, there really hasn't been anything in the last four years. I don't really see Biden doing anything. I'm worried about Mm -hmm. Harris. Harris, I'm definitely worried about. 
Mm. I am worried in the sense that they may not come after the adult industry directly, but both Biden and Harris have gone on the record saying that Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act needs to be repealed, which is basically the First Amendment for the Internet. I mean, that's what we all count on. We, We all count on the fact that as a website owner, if you're allowing user-generated content, that you're not going to get sued by somebody because someone else uploaded something. Mm-hmm. And that's basically protected everybody as the Internet has you know, gained whatever it's gained over the past 20, 30 years. And if right. that gets taken away, then we've got mm. real problems. Then we've got mm. real issues because what ends up happening is that the industry will and, – and, and, and not only adult but also mainstream – you won't be able to have a startup business because the amount of, of money that you would have to put into um, policing your site and mm-hmm. having technology police your site, I think, would almost make the barrier to entry of having your own website almost impractical and impossible. And that's, and that's one of the things that, that you know, I'm dealing with now as an attorney is that, mm-hmm. you know, I have to tell my clients, listen, you know, you, you have to watch what's being posted just because of FOSTA. You know, mm-hmm. when you have an adult website, we're oh, having yeah. a little taste of this because let's say you have a situation where you've got um, models that are using the website to promote a prostitution event in Houston. She's going to Houston, she's doing a tour, right. and she's you know putting out there and she's using your platform to advertise. Well, Correct. your platform now falls under FOSTA since it's promoting prostitution, and the owners of the website can now be prosecuted under FOSTA for human trafficking, and the, the penalties go up to life imprisonment. So, yeah, and and the whole fa- and the whole FOSTA thing, the way it was written, was just so nebulous that uh, can't they just come after adult companies just because, pretty much? Yeah, they could. They're, they, now they haven't, but here's the problem with FOSTA, mm-hmm. and and this is the problem with Harris, uh, who's mm-hmm. the big sponsor behind the bill. Exactly. She, she promised Facebook and a lot of the bigger companies like, oh, this isn't for you. We're not going to use mm-hmm. this against you. And, and, and there's no indication that the government would go after Facebook uh, if somebody was sending emails promoting prostitution on Facebook or Twitter. The problem mm-hmm. comes is that there's a civil remedy in that law that mm-hmm. says if you've been trafficked, you can sue the site that you've been trafficked through. And so MailChimp has been sued, Facebook has been sued, and there's one other company, mainstream company, that's been sued because their services were used to, to actually human traffic someone, and the lawyers have used FOSTA to go after those sites. And so that's wow. a big problem that nobody's really tapped into with FOSTA yet because there really hasn't been a lot of litigation because I think the lawyers are waiting to see what happens with those cases before they start filing other cases. Mm-hmm. And you know, but that that's been a hammer to the escorting industry in the United States. I mean, you know, oh, I know. Backpage shuts down. I had a client that had a, a similar site. They just shut down after being in business mm-hmm. fifteen years. He just he just decided, you know what? I just don't want the headache. And I have a, I have a I have a funny feeling. I know the one you're talking about. Uh, they exactly. were a very large large escort site, yes. and they clicked it off the day Foster Sesta passed. Exactly. Exactly. We're talking about the same one. Yeah, I think yes, so. Yes, we are. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, so, con- I had a conversation with them at the Phoenix Forum 
Uh, and he says, yeah, I shut my side off yesterday. Yep. And and so that could happen more and more if Section 230 gets repealed or gets vigorously changed and, and restricted. That, that's the thing I'm worried about. I mean, I, I don't see obscenity cases coming down the pike. 2257, even though the F, FSC has challenged it and they're probably going to go up on appeal, I don't see the FBI – you know, going after anybody for 2257 right now. I mean, everybody has to continue to keep records, but I they, they've got bigger issues to handle than worrying yeah. about, you know, w- what records are kept where. So, you know, I, I don't see much in, you know, and a couple of years ago, I really thought that the um, condom issue would take off, um, but that kind of petered out and, and went away. Could you repeat that, Michael? You cut out there for a second. I, I said that condom issue that we were facing in California, that, oh, yes. that, yes. that went away. So that okay. didn't really go anywhere. Okay. So okay. as far as legal issues go, I don't, I mean, there, there's nothing that I would say is at a point of where the adult industry is on a precipice. You know, it's, okay. it's, we're getting close to a, we're, we're getting close to a, a cliff, but we're not there yet. I think we're always on that cliff. Now, you mentioned 2257. That was going to be my next question. Obviously, there was a a, uh, a decision uh, made recently on that. Where does 2257 stand? I don't know, <laughs> honestly. Mm. Um, you know, it's very difficult because you've got you've got F- the FSC put out a statement about what. The- now, I I haven't read the full decision. Um, Mm -hmm. because I'm assuming that they're just going to appeal it. And so, you know, what, what had been previously decided that was kept on appeal was warrantless searches. The, the government basically, or the judge basically said to the, to DOJ FBI that you just can't show up at somebody's door and demand to see records. You, you need a warrant to go in and see these things, which which is absolutely, which is absolutely the right decision. And that was something that was decided earlier on and it stays. And, you know, therefore, but as far as how FSC challenged the law, what the judges did in in the appeal is basically they said, well, it doesn't apply to people that are not in this case. And, and and, And this is part of the problem with the FSC. This is a problem, I think, with a lot of the attorneys who take these cases on appeal. Okay, they want the easy clients. They want mm. the ones that look good. And what mm-hmm. ends up happening is they've got good-looking clients, but then the results don't apply to everybody. And, mm. and this is happening with the FOSTA challenge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love Larry Walters. He's one of the attorneys on it. Bob Corn Revere is sure. one of the attorneys on it. But the plaintiffs that they got on that case aren't typically of who this is affecting the most, which right. is the bread-and-butter escorts. Because yeah. no attorney wants to go in front of a judge and argue that this escort should be able to break the law. And I get Yeah, that. I mean, do you see do you see FOSTA eventually being overturned? No. Okay. No. I mean, there's I, I don't see a basis for it. I, I, I think FOSTA was a test case. I think fa- like like anything else, the adult industry is sort of like a proving ground. And so FOSTA was a test sure. case. And that kind of narrowly limited Section 230 when it comes to the adult industry. And now mm-hmm. when they want to do more with Section 230, the whoever's going to sponsor the next bill or spearhead that is going to go, well, look at all the success that we've had with FOSTA. 
that's mm. just really gotten rid of uh, you know human trafficking in, in the United States. And you know yeah, right. we, can, we can do so much more if we expand the restrictions on Section 230. That's what I think they did, and I think that's why they did it. And so uh, that's yeah. That was so misguided, though. All it did was drive, drive th- things back out on the streets. Really? Yeah. Well, they don't. They don't care about the lives. Of course, they sports. don't. And, they just and care honestly, how they look. Honestly, I and this might sound a little bit conspiratorial, but mm. when you when you pull back a little bit and you see, well, you know, we we are legalizing marijuana everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Marijuana is not really a crime that people are getting arrested for, convicted mm-hmm. of, and put in jail. Mm-hmm. And so we have this criminal justice system mm-hmm. that is that employs by hundreds of thousands of people between judges and staff and prisons and mm-hmm. and uh, probation officers or parole officers, lawyers, sheriff's deputies throughout the United mm-hmm. States. Well. Marijuana was sort of a low-level crime that kind of fed people into that system. Sure. And so if you're going to get rid of marijuana laws as far as being illegal, you need a crime to replace that. That's going to feed people into that system. Mm. So what are you going to do? Are you going to, are, are you going to lay off all of these union uh, uh, corrections officers? Are you going to fire mm. judges? Are you going to reduce DAs because you know we don't have that much crime anymore? Well, I mean, Please. Before the rise in the process, you know, what are you going to do? You've got to go hard in the paint on another crime. So the kind of the way I look at FOSTA is it's sort of like the, the new war on drugs. And now it's the war on on human trafficking. But it's really the war on prostitution. Based of course on it morality. is. Of exactly. course it is. But it's happening and, too. But this is the yeah. thing, though. It's not just the United States. This is spreading. Mm. Just this week, and luckily it was turned down, they had a debate here in the Netherlands, whether or not they should outlaw prostitution because and and there was someone in the said, Netherlands. Yeah, in the Netherlands. And somebody <laughs> said, well, Ed, there's no woman that would have sex with a guy for money unless she was trafficked. That was. The, oh, my God. I'm, I'm I, it's not the exact quote, but basically that's what it was, you that's know, funny. and and right now in the red light district in Amsterdam, that area is sitting on some of the most expensive property in Amsterdam. Of and course. just like time, just like Times Square, just like mm-hmm. in London, you know, the people that are in the real estate want to get rid of the prostitution. Why? So they can they come in and take over the housing, take of over course. the Wallen area and put in cafes and restaurants and hotels. Mm-hmm. And and the Netherlands doesn't want to be known as a country that is OK with prostitution and marijuana anymore. So it's becoming more conservative here, too. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Uh, place used to be fun too. God, this it place, used this, to be. This place, per, pretty soon, the only place you'll be able to go for marijuana and prostitution is Thailand because they're going to they're going to legalize it here. Or um, or, or Pahrump. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know why Pahrump hasn't jumped on the bandwagon to become the new Amsterdam. If I was the mayor of Pahrump, uh, I would totally turn that town into the escorting marijuana capital of the new of of the world. Once now that Amsterdam doesn't want it anymore. There you go. Well, you should be their consultant. Yeah. Um, so, so as a follow up, let's say I'm a site owner outside the U.S. How do laws like two two five seven FOSTA SESTA uh, and some and some of the other uh, laws that affect our industry? How do they affect me if I'm a site owner outside the U.S.? 
Well, if you turn off all your traffic to the United States and they don't affect you at all. <laughs> but gotcha. if you if you want to do business in the United States, then obviously it affects you. I mean, you know, the DOJ a long time ago during an ex-biz conference, probably in 2007, I think, they mm-hmm. literally admitted we're not going overseas to check anyone's records. Even back then when 2007 sure. was a hot button topic. And so, you know, is anybody flying to Cyprus or flying to russia no no one's flying anywhere to check to do they're not even doing it in the united states but you know because of the billing companies are all located in the united states if you have a a site you're going to have to comply because your billing company has to comply mm, okay so so gotcha. that's something imposed and and the same thing with fosta i mean you know i've i've counseled clients outside the united states who run escorting websites and basically what they've done is is they've shut off all ads within the United States, but they sure. allow but they allow traffic because, you know, if I'm a United States based businessman and I'm going to London on a business trip and I want to mm-hmm. see an escort while I'm in London where it's legal, it's perfectly fine if I go to that site and look because mm-hmm. the escorting isn't happening in the United States, the ad isn't in the United States. And mm-hmm. I'm going someplace to do something where it's legal to do it. So interesting. Um, yeah, so it, it, as long as you're not allowing U.S. based based escorts to advertise, then you're fine. Because well, well, it well it most certainly brought the value of those sites down because they couldn't do business in the number one market anymore. Yes, well, that's definitely true. But I think it's I I, I think it's also created more sex tourism. Mm, yeah, yeah, but you know, like I said. They 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 far from got rid of uh, of uh, what they were trying to get rid of with uh, with Fosta Sesta, you know. They uh, sex trafficking did not go away, and all no. all they did was throw a huge monkey wrench into legal well into legal into illegal prostitution. But but sex trafficking is such a small thing. It really. Oh, I know. I know. When I, um, I was interviewed by the United States Senate Subcommittee on Human Trafficking. Mm. When Boston was being introduced Interesting. and, and, you know, when I talked to their investigators, I said, listen, I'm, I'm a California attorney and I'm an adult attorney. And I can tell you, I've seen more human trafficking at a car wash in Los Angeles than I've ever mm. seen on a porn set. Mm-hmm. I said, there are, there are car washes in Los Angeles County where there's 30 or 40 people living in a four room apartment, working shifts, making no money. That are being sure. trafficked from Central America and Mexico. That's right. what we should be concentrating on, not sure. on the small amount of sex trafficking that's happening. Not to say right. that one is worse than the other, but it's no. nowhere near the amount of human trafficking going on for labor and employment. No, you're right. And sla- slavery is, is bad no matter what. Slavery is still around and it's bad. And, yeah. you know, the. The people that are getting or were because now because of COVID, but the people that were getting human trafficked in the United States, you know, they were being they're being lied to. It, and, and it happens here in Rotterdam. It happens in every country. It's happening. in Italy. It does. People it are does. saying, hey, you come to Italy, you know, you work for a certain amount of time. I'll provide you a place and then, you know, you can you can pay me back and you give me a profit mm-hmm. and then you can set up your own. You know, you're you're now home free. And so yeah. that type of slavery will always exist because people. Uh, they do it to tie women all the time in other countries, usually uh, for prostitution. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's all of that going on. But no, FOSTA oh, sure. is not, not going to change. And the only way FOSTA can change that 
mm. is when they start coming down on sites like Twitter. Yeah. Because the, the, the amount of escorting that's going on in Twitter is immense. I mean, every escort mm-hmm. in the world is on Twitter. And so until the government's willing to go after a Twitter-like site, it's never going to mm-hmm. So And Facebook and Instagram and every social media site. You know, I don't see that much on Instagram or Facebook. They're, they're mm. Because they were sued under FOSTA, mm. they really upped their policing. Oh, so okay. Stuff still gets through, but sure. I mean, you, you see it with, with Instagram. You know, Alana mm-hmm. Evans and APAG is going, mm-hmm. you know, has been going crazy trying to get Instagram to, you know, put out some sort of uh, some sort of guidance on why they just close down sex workers uh, oh, accounts well. and they just do it willy nilly. Ah, they do it. They do it because they can and they think they're being uh, ethical and they're it's far from it. So, yes. So now you've been in our business for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> about as long as I've been in and I've known you. Um, And I know you don't lack for opinions on our business. So it may sound like kind of a generic question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How do you see this business now and where do you see it heading in the next five years? Um, Well, the small and mid-sized producer is pretty much gone, being replaced Mm -hmm. by the content creators on OnlyFans and models. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I've got porn star clients that are making over a million dollars a year off mm. of OnlyFans. I mean, it's wow. just, it's crazy. Okay. And not only wow. porn star clients, I got soccer moms making that much money. Soccer moms mm-hmm. that yeah. have, you know, and, and they're not really showing nudity. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you have this now absolutely direct, you know, model to client situation that's right. easy for them to monetize. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it, how, why are they going to want to go back and shoot for companies? Why are they going to want to? And COVID right. has basically brought that to the forefront. And now sure. none of them really give a shit and they don't care about the companies. They don't care about. And, and you've seen you've seen that result in sort of a mini Me Too movement within the adult industry where a mm-hmm. lot of uh, a lot of the uh, models are coming forward and talking about the sexual uh, harassment and the rapes that they've experienced while mm-hmm. being on set or you know, even after the shoot is done at the hands of male mm-hmm. talent or directors or, you know, PAs or photographers. And so, you know, one, the, one very, one very notable one. <laughs> which one, you, I, I, which one are you talking about? They're all run, Ger- run, run, Jeremy. Well, yeah, Ron Jeremy. Absolutely. But that started before COVID. I mean, Oh, I know I that, know. that would, and, and, and I, you know, we were, I'm ABN's attorney and we were the first one to basically ban him from the show. Mm. And so that I think kind of started the the downturn on his career and mm. it gave more people, I guess, impetus to come forward and start talking about it. But yeah, That's I mean, once he went into Rolling Stone magazine mm-hmm. and literally said to Rolling Stone magazine, I get paid to grope people. I go to shows and I grope people. We had no choice. It was just mm. once we were put on notice of that, you know, there, you, you can't because if you allow him into a show and he gropes somebody, that's they can easily point to that. and go. Now, well, you're, now you're now you're liable. Yeah. yeah, now we're liable. So he's he's put it on the record that he's a, a dangerous person and we can't allow him into the show because people ask me like, oh, why do you let this guy in? Well, Ron's Ron admitted to it. Yeah. And I think that was 
part of the problem is that he just didn't get the idea that what he was doing was not what was violating people's consent. He just thought it was a part of of his persona or the adult industry or whatever. And he just never got to the point of where he really understood that what he was doing was sexual assault and rape. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of guys don't. Sadly, um, you, you know, you were talking about the whole clip uh, thing, and also Cam's obviously is another oh, yeah, part. Get, getting back. To how? That yeah. How? I didn't mean to get you off track. How um, do you think this is going to affect even the big production companies? Oh, I, I, that's coming to an end. I mean, listen, the one thing you've been around, and I've been around. The one thing that I can say for sure is everything comes to an end. Okay. Mm. And, you know, before I got into the industry, I dated the granddaughter of the man who founded the industry in Los Angeles. Mm. Wow. And so I was able to spend a lot of time with him when we would go over to his house for dinners. Mm. Um, a nice Jewish guy that lived in uh, he was. Northridge uh, by uh-huh. the name Milton Luros. Um, okay. He, he started Parliament Press back in, well, mm. it wasn't called Parliament Press in the fifties and the forties, but he basically wow. started uh, a lot of magazines mm-hmm. and then rose to the level of where, um, by the seventies, he was considered the richest man in porn. Well, never, never really got into the movies when he sold, he sold to, um, he sold out parliament press to Ruben Sturman and mm-hmm. Ruben came in and took over parliament and then started doing movies. But mm-hmm. he would tell me about the early days of the industry. And, and that's the whole thing. I mean, we, you go from movie, I mean, you go from, you go from the very earliest days, which are black and whites. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you go to, um, magazines, then you go to movies or, or you go to the booths, uh, remember mm-hmm. the, the jerk off boots and, and sex stores, you know, I can't confirm or deny that rumor. <laughs> and then you go to uh, movie theaters, and then you go to VHS and and, mm-hmm. and VCRs. So, I mean, at some point, everything comes to an end. Tube sites will come to an end um, mm. when they've outlived their usefulness. Um, mm. Same thing with the models. The, the platforms like OnlyFans, they'll come to an end. And I think what will end up happening and what will replace it is virtual reality or... Um, or um, uh, what is it called? Not virtual reality, but uh, augmented reality as well. Mm-hmm. And that'll probably be replaced by walking, talking sex dolls. Because mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's what you want to do. You want to fuck. That's why guys watch porn. You know, sure. To masturbate. So the closer you can put your male customer or your female customer or your trans customer to mm-hmm. the, the, the model, mm-hmm. the more money you're going to make. Sure. And through technology, you know, you'll be able to get closer and closer and closer to the models, to an actual experience of having sex without having another person there. Interesting. Okay, that brings me to my next question. Let's say I'm starting out an adult today Ugh. and I came to you for advice. You'd say, don't do it. What advice would you give me about where to put my money in this business? Find a niche. Find mm-hmm. a niche. And that's what mm-hmm. I tell people. I mean, you know, I, if somebody comes to me and they're like, I'm going to start a POV blowjob site, I'm going to like, well, you're just looking to get your dick sucked because <laughs> you're not going to make any money off of it. <laughs> Why? I go, because I, I, unless there's something extraordinary 
extraordinary, remarkable about your content, I, I mm-hmm. can for free on the internet. So right. you really, you got to really find a niche and, and it may mm-hmm. not even be a niche that you like, but it's a niche that pays. Like I've got a, I've got a client that I've had for over 10 years and mm-hmm. he started 10 years ago with a niche of, and there's no nudity, there's no sex. Mm. It's just hot guys giving each other CPR. CPR? Yeah, it's one guy pretending to be an EMT and another hot guy, like, you know, doing something and he passes out and falls down and the hot (laughs) EMT guy shows up and, you know, it's hot in the apartment. So the EMT guy has to rip off his shirt. You know, of course, it's sort of aimed at the bisexual man who's not yet ready to kind of like admit that he's probably bisexual. And so (laughs) he doesn't really want to watch full on gay porn, but he wants sort of a. A homoerotic experience watching two guys and Interesting. so he, he, he you know he's done well at that he's done very well at that sure and so um sounds like it sounds like a really good concept you know and that's the thing and that's what people forget is people will jerk off to just about anything Meh. and so it's it's finding the thing that they will jerk off to that basically no one else is making content for and that's sure. how you make money in this industry mm-hmm. yeah you don't make money because you're getting off. You're making money because your client's getting off. And if he can't or she can't find that content, then that's where the need is. And I, I always thought that's why Jules Jordan was always so successful. Mm-hmm. Because when Jules started, and and I and also, you know, um, Paul from AVN, who used to be the owner, they both started off owning mm-hmm. adult stores. And so mm-hmm. You know, um, Jules was, you know, he owned a store, he was a clerk, and he would hear people come in and go, hey, do you have this? And he would look at his shelves and go, no, I don't. And somebody else would go, hey, do you have this? And he'd go, no, no, it's not there. And then he started figuring out that he could make the porn that everybody wanted to see that nobody else was making. Interesting. That's a good way to find out. Yeah, talk to, talk to you. I mean, and that's what's great about the tube sites. That's the other thing I tell my mm-hmm. clients too, is that what made browsers and made MindGeek so good was before mm-hmm. they invested a lot of money in launching a site, they'd throw up a couple of scenes on a tube site and see what it did. They could get that instant feedback as sure. to whether or not it was a good scene, whether it was a good concept, did people like it, did people, and they had all of that data. And it was mm. data driven. Like, how long does somebody watch this scene for? Did they watch it for thirty mm-hmm. seconds and click off of it? Did they thumbs up? Did they thumbs down? Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell my clients. I go, don't you know? Don't come into the industry with this. I'm going to shoot a POV scene, mm-hmm. and it's going to be blowjob only, and this is the way it's going to be done. And I, be more flexible. You know, try a bunch yeah. of different different type of content. Yeah, don't spend don't spend thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars on content, and then realize it's not good content. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I had a guy that spent $75,000 on content and sure. never got a 2257 document. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So so I tell people, try a bunch of different stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you know, try some stuff you like. Try some stuff that's outside your area of eroticism and put mm-hmm. it up on tube sites and see what other people like. You know, mm-hmm. and, do, and do your homework. Find out exactly. what other people aren't shooting. Find mm-hmm. out how they're shooting it, find out, you know, really drill down into a fan base of clients. Go on Reddit. Mm-hmm. You, know? it, it, you can find every potential fetish on that you want on Reddit, and you'll find discussion groups. And if you listen to the guys and, and the clients or potential clients on Reddit, 
you'll find out what they don't like about content. They're going to tell you. And then you figure out how to do what, what other directors, what other producers aren't doing. Interesting. So, Michael, you've also done some writing, I noticed, from your bio. Um, <laughs> maybe you can tell, tell us a little bit more about your literary works. Well, uh, it's only, I wouldn't call it literary works. It was, it was one novel. I've got five more hmm. planned. I Ooh. haven't gotten around to writing the other five yet. Um, I wrote it because it had been a book. I, I, like I said, I, I went to Europe. I did research on my family mm-hmm. and I was able to discover a thousand year history that the, the wow. Fatorosis go back to the year 1083. And we're oh, actually, we're actually not Italian. We're Norman, uh, Viking invaders and, uh, German, uh, um, Lombards. And so, huh. so for, you know, 900 years, uh, my family was in that little town called Lettity, where I went to go huh. visit every year. And they were sort of like the noble family of the town, not counts. You know, they didn't, they weren't kings. They were just, you know, basic, you know, noblemen. And hmm. so I did all this research. I spent years and years and years and money and money and money and time in, um, in different archives. And so I had this great, I, I had this great, uh, like basis for a book. And what was very interesting is one of the things that we had um, that's now gone supposedly is we, we owned one of the 30 pieces of silver that Pilate paid to Judas to, uh, mm. to, to give up Jesus. And wow. so uh, that piece of silver has, has been stolen from the family. And that basically sent me on a, uh, a 13 year search and that turned into the book and now i've got four other books five other books to complete the series but basically what it does is it's it's a mixture of fictional with factual so Hmm. sounds like fun you know writing is fun it's it's tough and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of concentration and you really have to be you know, you, you can't do anything else. That's the problem. It's it's right. very hard right. for me, at least as a writer, to, you know, pick up the phone, make a phone call, go back to writing, talk to mm-hmm. a client about legal stuff, go back to writing, have dinner, go back to writing. Like when I'm when I'm writing and whether it's a legal paper, it's a brief or it's a, it's a motion, I literally have to lock myself in a room and just concentrate on that. Yeah. And so, you know. It's hard to do when you've got other things going. Hopefully, when I retire someday, uh, I can finish the other four or five. Fantastic. I'll be looking forward to it. Well, hey, Michael, I'd really like to thank you for being our guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk, and I hope we get a chance to do this again real soon. Sure. Let me know whenever you want, Bruce. Thank you very much for having me. My broker tip today is part seven of what to do to make your site more valuable for when you decide to sell it later. Let's talk about some of the factors that influence the sales price of a website. Number one is usually profit. It will be a multiple of the annual profit, and that multiple is based on whether the profit is trending up or trending down, and how fast it's trending up or down. I've seen valuations of as much as five times, although that's very rare. Normally, it's in the two and a half to four times area. I've also seen valuations of one time if the profit is taking a nosedive. If a site hasn't been monetized, then it's all about the amount and the quality of the traffic. If a sale is based on traffic, it will be a multiple of what the traffic would sell for on the open market. What are the sources of traffic? Direct traffic, search engine traffic, and review traffic are the most valuable. 
Tube traffic is the least valuable. Is the traffic reliable and sustainable? What is the traffic history? In a rare case, the valuation will be based upon sales. The same factors apply to that as profit, and the valuations will, of course, be lower than those of profits. How old is the website? Is the domain a .com or something else? .com is still king. What is its Alexa rating? How many inbound links are there? How much staff does it take to run the site? How many email addresses do you have? In the case of a dating site, this is very important. Another factor can be the reverse engineering cost. How much would it cost to build the site from scratch and drive the same amount of traffic to it? And how much time would be involved? What is the lifetime valuable of a customer on the site? Next week, we'll begin our series of tips on how to buy a website. And next week, we'll be talking to Connor Young, the president of Why Not Group. And that's it for this week's Adult Side Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Michael Fatterosi. Talk to you again next week on Adult Side Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.